God commands that offerings should be made for unintentional sin. What? Absolutely. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Bible, reading from Genesis to Revelation 22 in one year. It's very exciting. Now, in the next 30 minutes, we're going to study this today as we continue the book. And this is fascinating the book of Leviticus. Corey and Ryan. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at uh, sacrifices and issues surrounding sacrifices that we read about in Leviticus 1 to 3. Ryan? Today, my segment tells of the challenges and issues that Leviticus posed for first century Jews and Christians. Yeah, and that's really interesting. First century Jews and Christians. Uh, all right, uh, what are you doing today? It's our Fun Friday wrap-up, and that means I'm going to ask a question. It's based from the Bible, anywhere from Exodus chapter 18 all the way through to Leviticus 4. There's lots of information in there. Leviticus 4, verses 1 through 12. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head, and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take from it all the fat of the bull as the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat which is on the entrails, the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. But the bull's hide and all its flesh, with its head and legs, its entrails and offal, the whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place, where the ashes are poured out, and burn it on the wood with fire, where the ashes are poured out it shall be burned. Leviticus chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Leviticus 1 to 4, this is the third book of the Bible. We begin it today as we continue our reading through the Word of God. 
You know, there were several offerings in the Old Covenant designed to illustrate God's holiness, his holiness, and to impart a sense of respect not seen in any other worship practice. The offerings given to idols, as well as other pagan worship practices involving idolatry, divination, fortune-telling, horoscopes, and the like, acted as a way to appease, attract favor, or obtain bits of luck or fortune, given you knowledge from the other so-called gods. But it was not about doing right. It was about getting things to weigh. Now, God wanted his people to learn and understand that he was different than the other so-called gods being worshipped around them. Sin cannot stand in his presence, whether it is intentional or not. Now, Leviticus 4 speaks about sin and the sin offering. According to God, there were sins that could be committed unknowingly, presumably because of the hardened hearts. And the Bible refers to this sin as an offering of unintentional sin. And God was communicating his holiness through the commands and the offerings in the law. That becomes important because as we begin to understand what God was doing, we learn much about how he thinks. And the Bible tells us that as his written word, the most published book in the world. It is the book that is the most translated in other languages and the most popular. Ask any publisher and he'll tell you. Now, let's take our Bible guide and turn to today's passage. Unintentional sins matter. This is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. And you can get it by writing to us or call us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, BibleDiscoveryTV.com, and we'll send it to you if you click on that page. God will speak to you, and whatever God speaks to you, we're good with. So thank you so much for that. We praise the name of Jesus Christ. We need to pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord that we would hear what you're saying. Help us, Father, not to take all of our cultural ideas and throw them in there, but help us just to clear out and learn what you're saying. Because, Father, if we learn what you talk about, then maybe that will affect us. And our thinking will understand the Bible. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we all said together, amen and amen. You know, it's amazing how many people misunderstand the Bible when they don't read it. So many people do, and many people talk about it, but they've never read it. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Let's look at the first verse. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally, if a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. Now, these are the Old Testament times, and so that's what we're talking about here. Many years ago, God commands that offerings must be made for the unintentional sin. Now, keep this in mind. The Lord is above all of our understanding. He is holy and he is divine. God himself sent Jesus Christ 
born of God, Jesus Christ born through the Virgin Mary, who lived 33 years and we crucified him, all of us did, and he died and miraculously three days later in the flesh, he rose from the dead. That's what I believe. And as he rose from the dead, there were over 500 people who saw him, according to the scripture. And that tells us that God paid the price of sin and on the cross, he said, it is finished. So we come to Jesus Christ today and we say, Lord, forgive me of my sin that I know about and any that I don't know about in the name of Jesus Christ. God has done that. We need to keep that in mind. Leviticus 4 verse 4 says, He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle, the meeting before the Lord, and lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, this is important. Keep this in mind. God makes it clear that all sin is unholy. All of it is. We are unholy people. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be made holy. You see, beloved, the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful. And through the blood of Christ, Father God, forgive me for I have sinned. And that forgives all of our sin, intentional and unintentional. That's what Jesus Christ did. And that's why we, that's why I'm such a, in fact, if you want to say it, I'm, I'm more or less a Jesus freak. I love Jesus Christ. I want him to be in control of my life and every part of it. So let's keep that in mind, that the blood of Jesus Christ did it all 2,000 years ago. Now, with that in our hearts, let's go to verses 8 through 12. He shall take from it all, the fa- he shall take from all of it, the fat of the bull as the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails and the fat which is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys. He shall remove as it was taken from the bull of sacrifice of the peace offering and the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering, but the bull's hide and all its flesh with its head and legs and entrails and offal. The whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burned it on wood with fire, where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. Now, what does that mean? Sin is complex (laughs) and it causes difficulty. Beloved, know that. So the Lord Jesus has taken care of sin through the giving of himself as an offering once and for all. Praise God. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us that. So we need to understand that God has done this for us through Jesus Christ. So come to the Lord today and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. 
I believe you died on the cross and you rose again on the third day, miraculously. And I accept you as Lord of my life. Help me today to follow you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask this. Amen and amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you mean it, and God is with you, you can write to me, we'll send you information, but God is with you. Amen, amen. Jesus Christ spoke to us and told us not to be afraid, not to be troubled by these times. This is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of God's final reconciliation with the world. God is going to make things change in our lives. And this is very important. He has selected you and myself to live in this time. And I find that absolutely amazing. So today we begin the book of Leviticus. And when this third book of the law was first given to God's people, its commands were pretty straightforward, such as the sacrifices, the purity laws, and so forth. But then fast forward to the first century AD. For these Jews and Christians, Leviticus posed numerous challenges, though for different reasons. Check it out. Though central to the law, Leviticus posed a number of challenges for first-century Jews and Christians alike. For one thing, after the sacking of Jerusalem and the destruction of the Jewish temple in AD 70 by the Romans, how were Jews possibly supposed to carry on with the ritualistic temple sacrifices commanded by God in Leviticus? Furthermore, with no sacrifices, there was also no need for priests as officials at those sacrifices. So how were priestly families to obey the regulations set out in Leviticus for them? Without a temple, Jews were suddenly faced with these issues and more, including the purity of priests, the Jewish family, and dietary regulations. In response to these challenges, post-temple rabbis emphasized prayer and substituted the study of the sacrificial laws for performing the ritual. Indeed, the medieval scholar Maimonides argued that sacrifice was a concession to human frailty, that is, to give Jews a right similar to rites practiced by the worshippers of other deities, and never really God's intention. Also, even though there was no further use for priests as officials at sacrifices, priestly families continued to hold to Levitical laws of purity, especially in regard to marriage and contact with the dead. Preserving the purity of the Jewish family involved observing the ban on a woman's having intercourse for seven days for her monthly period and circumcising male babies. The dietary laws in Leviticus 11 were not only retained but also carried out strictly in traditional families. Believe it or not, first century Christians also faced certain challenges related to Leviticus, such as sacrifice, circumcision, and dietary regulations. Ultimately, under the leadership of Paul the Apostle, the New Testament church concluded that such works were unnecessary for salvation. And later, Christian scholar Origen articulated a theory of scripture interpretation that distinguished the literal from the more important spiritual meaning discerned by typology. Hence, the sacrifices described in Leviticus constituted a typology and prediction of Christ, whose sacrifice was superior to and fulfilled the system outlined in Leviticus. But even before Origen, the Holy Spirit-inspired author of Hebrews had drawn the exact same conclusion. 
Thus, when Christ came as the ultimate sacrifice once and for all, the sacrificial system was no longer necessary. In fact, it, like the rest of the law, was never meant to be permanent, nor was it meant to provide righteousness and salvation, nor to take away sins. Rather, its role was to point us to the only one who can, Christ Jesus. Unfortunately, Jews who reject him are forced to remain locked up under the law which doesn't save, rather than receiving freedom in Christ who does save. So the law, or the Old Covenant, including Leviticus, was never meant to be permanent, but was given to point us to Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law through his sinless life and sacrifice on the cross. Under the New Covenant, Jesus himself provides that righteousness to all who put their trust on him. Okay, you might be asking, but if Leviticus and the rest of the law has been fulfilled in Christ, how should we as Christians apply it to our lives today? Well, in regard to Leviticus specifically, scholar Paul Reddit suggests that one might approach it as a book with certain laws that no longer apply literally, either in a Jewish or a Christian context. Nevertheless, it still retains relevance for its insistence on the worship of God and on moral living in response to God's holiness. I think it's important to remember that the, the law of God is cultural, it's ceremonial, and it's practical and eternal. Mm -hmm. And there are elements of the law that are cultural that you're not going to carry on the, yeah. for example, the eating and the foods and all of that. But at the same time, you have to understand that they have a certain meaning. Mm -hmm. and that's so right, yeah. That's important. And I think that's where a lot of people have problems. Yeah. Well, in the moral law, it doesn't change. I mean, if, if God didn't like it over here, he's not going to like it over here, morally speaking. So I think we have to keep that in mind as well. You know, we, we don't want to cast everything off, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, there is an ex expectation and, and Jesus helps us with that as well. And I think the, the way that God deals with it uh, is the directly and the way that Jesus deals with it takes it further the woman caught in the act of adultery, for example. Now, mm -hmm. how did they know she was an adulterer? Well, they saw her. Well, what are they doing watching her? You know, like, what's going on here? So there's a whole mess there wrapped up into that. They were trying to confront Jesus. But God doesn't condemn her at that moment, but he says, go and sin no more. Mm -hmm. And so that's really interesting. A lot of people use the Old Testament to dictate what God says. Well, that, that's what God feels and says. But Jesus Christ did what God does, and we need to follow his example. That's what our command is today. Mm -hmm. So as That's we right. live under grace. So mm -hmm. it's very, very interesting. Absolutely. Okay. Corey, what's up? All right. We are going to be taking a look at the sacrificial system as laid out in Leviticus chapter 1 to 3, focusing specifically on animal sacrifices and the different kinds. You know, wasn't just animal sacrifices. There was also drink offerings and grain offerings. So let's take a look. In the ancient Near East, religious sacrifices were extremely common. They were offered to various deities and consisted of valuable consumable resources like animals, grain, drink, and oil, as well as culturally prized items like incense, clothing, jewelry, precious metals, and stones. When thinking of the Bible, most readers will likely associate religious sacrifices with the law of God recorded in Exodus through Deuteronomy. The law limited and legislated religious sacrifices for Israel at its inception as a nation. 
Before this time, however, the Bible clearly reflects what history also does, that religious devotion expressed in sacrifices and offerings was already widespread. The first biblical record of offerings to God comes from Genesis 4 and the tragic lives of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel brought offerings to God, but only Abel's was accepted. Cain's jealousy and anger ended in Abel's murder. This history shows that sacrifices were apparently always a part of the human experience, at least a part of it after the moral fall of Genesis 3. The story leaves the reader with many questions. Why were Cain and Abel giving sacrifices, and where was there a special place? What exactly made Cain's offering unacceptable? Regardless, Jewish tradition points to Moses as the author-compiler of Genesis, and as Moses was delivering the law of God, including regulations about sacrifices, perhaps one of the main points is that there have always been acceptable and unacceptable sacrifices. The Law of Moses then lays out an official record of what was appropriate as religious expression. There were five main offerings. The burnt offering was a way of calling on God and was accompanied by prayers. An acceptable animal would be killed, washed, and entirely burned up on the altar. The grain offering could be given alone, often accompanied burnt offerings, and could replace the animal of a burnt offering in the case of a poor worshiper. They were made either of raw, fine flour and oil, or baked bread and cakes accompanied with incense. Grain offerings were partially burned on the altar, and the rest was given to the priests. The fellowship or peace offering was essentially a meal shared by God and the worshippers, symbolically representing their covenant relationship. Certain portions were burned up to God, with the worshipper and priests eating the rest of the animal. The sin offering was given to cleanse a person from sin or ritual impurity. It consisted of a specifically sacrificed animal, a portion of whom would be burned on the altar, and the rest of whom would be food for the priests. The purpose of the guilt offering was to make amends for mistreating any of the things of God or the people of Israel. The offerer had to reimburse for any stolen or damaged goods, and then they had to make an offering to God of an animal at the temple. So there we go, just a quick insight and look into the sacrificial system as laid out really quickly here in Leviticus. There is much more to be said, but I find uh, doing um, a, a comparative study right away here when we meet the sacrifices becomes really helpful later on, because from here on out, the Old Testament's going to be referring to different kinds of sacrifices, but it's not going to be explaining them every time. So especially once we get back into the narrative portion of the scripture, uh, you know, in, in Judges, and Joshua and then the kings, when we see these different sacrifices come up, it's already helpful to have uh, that knowledge solidified. And that's important because a lot of people grab things in Joshua and grab mm -hmm. things in Judges and they say, see, the Lord said that and it's wrong. And, but that's not what the Lord's saying at all. He's because the people who understood that read the law. Right. So you have to understand, you have a understanding or a, a realization. Here's kind of how it's supposed to be. Exactly. And then here's how it was implemented. Yeah. And that's, that's again, that's the, the challenge of human nature. You know, mm -hmm. you've got to make sure 
that you, you deal with that according to the knowledge of the whole Bible, not just the knowledge of the one. Right. What are you doing this weekend? Okay, so this weekend is another chapter by chapter recap. And again, I'm pulling my husband Matlock in with me so we can have a more of a conversation, kind of going over some of the common questions that come up as we read through the scriptures. So if you've fallen behind on your reading, please join me uh, on my YouTube channel. It's just my name, Corey Babechko, and I'll get you caught back up. You can also comment on YouTube and uh, me and my husband will be reading the comments and responding back. Excellent, very good, Jen. We have a very special member of the team that you don't see, and we don't often mention her, but she does our closed captioning. And Amy is a big part of what we do here at Bible Discovery TV. And her son is Benjamin, Ben. And he's getting so tall. And oh my goodness, he's working now. He's got a job and going to school. My goodness. And we just love them so very much. Living down in Alabama. Uh Uh-huh. And Amy does such a great job. And uh, so all of you that utilize the closed captioning, we thank God for you, Amy, very much. And we love you as well, Ben. And why am I saying all this? Other than wanting to bring attention to Amy, she picked up on something that I talked about last year. So coming up on some of the fun Friday wrap-ups, I'm going to be bringing something out, and I'm not even going to say what it is. It's going to be a surprise to come (laughs) in honor of Amy. Amy sent it up. So just hold on. It's not going to be today. I'm not even going to tell you when it's going to happen. But for today, here's what the question is. It could be anywhere from Exodus 18 to Leviticus 4. So get your Bible out and get it ready. In the making of the ephod for the priesthood, onyx stones were engraved with the names of the sons of Israel. How many onyx stones were used? Was it two stones with six names each engraved? Was it four stones with three names engraved on each? Or was it 12 onyx stones, one for each son? What do you think? Hmm. It's a tricky question. We're pretty confident on this one. We're confident. Uh, Go ahead, Corey. Yeah, no, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, we're, we're saying two. Yeah. Two. Two That's onyx stones. So here were the choices two stones, four stones, or 12 stones, one for each. If you said two stones with six names each, you would be absolutely right. That is Exodus chapter 28, verses 9 and 10. If you want to check me out, make sure that that is the right answer. And actually, it was in the order of their birth. Everything was very intricate, very ornate, and very detailed. God is a God of detail and intricate workings and designs. So good for you if you got it right. (laughs) And if you didn't, that's okay. Stick around for next Friday. There'll be a new question. At the end of the program, I want to remind you of Signs of the Times, a collection of sermons that I put together on camera for you. 
about the times that we're in and the end of time as we see it. Uh, make sure that you go to our website at BibleDiscoveryTV.com or write for it or call for it, and we'll send it to you on DVD, whatever you want. But make sure you get a hold of it. Today we need to pray. And let's pray this way. Say, Lord, I want to thank you and I want to praise you for giving me relief and for giving me of my sins.